All right, welcome everybody. We are continuing our series and just about concluding, maybe today, our series, the title of which is on the screen behind me, Living Right in a World Gone Wrong. And over the last several weeks, we've been trying to diagnose from a biblical perspective what is wrong with our world in general, and now for the last few weeks, we've been looking at what is wrong with us in particular, so that we can diagnose our own problems and help uh, others with theirs as well. And I gave you two weeks ago five things that we wanted to look at in our remaining weeks. We've covered the first of the five. So the, the first was the largest and took the most time. We may be able to cover the other four today. If not, we'll go into uh, another week. <clears throat> but I'll repeat for you what those, those five are. The first that we've covered, and I'll review just slightly, is that facts have to be interpreted. Facts must be interpreted. And then secondly today, we're going to see that labels can be misleading. Facts must be interpreted. Labels can be misleading. Thirdly, what we do causes harm. Number four, false diagnoses separate people. So facts have to be interpreted. Labels can be misleading. What we do causes harm. False diagnoses tend to separate us from one another. They separate people. And fifthly, excuse me, nurture feeds our nature. Nurture feeds our nature. And if we go through those five things, you'll have a pretty good idea of what makes you tick and me tick and what our problems are, why we have them, and why those that we try to assist have their issues as well. The first is facts have to be interpreted. So I've been saying over the last few weeks that as we look at behavior, whether our own or someone else's, there's no such thing as just a brute fact of any type, whether behavior and making a list of the kinds of actions that someone tends to perform or just other facts in general. There's no such thing as just a fact that stands by itself, that all facts have to be interpreted. So you take uh, even words that we use to describe facts and phenomena. Those are often freighted with with, uh, bias. We choose a particular word because we've already brought to that fact that we're trying to describe with that word a particular interpretation. If I say nature versus creation, if I say creation, I'm using a freighted term, aren't I? It's, It's biased. It's biased in a good way, I think in a true way, but nonetheless it's biased. So nature communicates something, but creation communicates something even more. Or, as I pointed out the last few weeks, I can look at a tree, someone else can look at a tree, but we interpret the fact of that tree perhaps quite differently. I see the creative activity of God. They see something that has simply evolved over over time. Time plus chance equals trees. And people, eventually. But that's it. That's the the fact is the same. That's a tree. If you if you cut its trunk, it's going to have rings in it, and you're going to interpret the the rings in the tree a particular way. So 
It's the same fact, there's a tree. And we don't disagree about the fact. The disagreement comes in on the interpretation. A flower, the same thing I've been using over the last few weeks. If I look at a living organism and an ultrasound, we can say fetus or we can say baby. Well, that's, that's freighted language that says something about what I believe regarding that fact. Same fact, different interpretation. The empty tomb. Fact, there's a tomb. They used to have a body in it, and there's no body in there anymore. But it's still got to be interpreted, and there are a lot of ways you can interpret that. That the body was stolen, or the body, Jesus never completely died. Some have, he hallucinated on the, or he swooned, excuse me, on the, uh, on the cross and never died. Or you can interpret it as Christians do and as the Bible does, that by the power of God he was raised from the dead and thus there's an empty tomb. But the fact is an empty tomb, there's an interpretation now that has to be placed on it. And without new lenses, you will not see, you will not accept, you will not receive, you will not welcome God's interpretation of his world and especially of you. Without a new set of lenses through which to see the facts regarding the world and especially regarding yourself, ourselves, without those new lenses, we will not see, we will not accept, we will not welcome, we will not receive God's diagnosis of our problems. So we can look at the same facts about a person and we can make a list of the stuff they tend to do. But the question is, how are we going to interpret that stuff? And facts require interpretation. And you need and I need the lenses that God provides, the spectacles that God provides in order for us to interpret what we see everywhere in his world, including in the mirror and including in what we see in others. We have to have the glasses that he supplies in order to see ourselves and others clearly. Without the advanced ultrasound that God provides, we will not see the maladies clearly. God's word is advanced ultrasound. Hebrews 4.12 The word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it divides in two, divides asunder, joints and marrow. It says it judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so God gives us these lenses through Scripture that provide advanced ultrasound into the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So God cuts to the bone, it says, and cuts to the heart about who we are and what our problems are. But if you don't use those, if you don't have the lenses God provides in the form of His Word, then you will not have an appreciation for that. You will not welcome that. You'll want to find an alternate diagnosis. God says in His diagnosis, our behavior is explained primarily by sin. But we don't like that explanation. 
We want an alternate explanation. So we want to say sick. God says sin. We want to say we suffer from. We want to say I have blank. And God bunches all of that up and says, you behave the way you behave because you think the way you think and you think and behave the way you do because you are what you are. Namely, sinners with a sin nature that manifests itself in our thinking, our speaking, and our behavior. It is natural for all of us to want the suffers from, sick, have, fill in the blank. Every one of us would much prefer that to sin. So you would be right if you say, well, it's natural not to want to face up to it. I'm with you. It's natural. Here's the problem. What's natural is also sinful. If you have a sin nature, what's natural, okay? Be careful about what's natural. If you have a sin nature, it really doesn't do you a whole lot of good to go, well, it's natural. Right. You need a new nature. There's something wrong with the nature that you and I have. And so just as sort of an aside, related aside, that's why I get real nervous when I hear parents say, well, it's just natural for kids too. Right, I get that. (laughs) That's the problem. I know kids' nature because I know your nature. You know, I know that child's nature because I know his old man's nature. And, And mine, and my children's. So you can't dismiss parent what's going on with your child and the behavior of your child by simply saying it's natural. Plenty of stuff that is now natural for our kids that wasn't natural prior to sin and shouldn't be natural. So we need new lenses. And those new lenses through which we see the world, others, ourselves, we saw at the end of last week, come to us through the gospel. That it's through the the good news that Jesus Christ has done what is necessary to remedy our sin problem, that we come to see ourselves clearly. And without the lenses of the gospel, then we will not see others and ourselves in God's world's world clearly. Now, here's the kicker, though. Even professing Christians, who by definition have embraced the gospel, presumably, still look for alternate explanations. Dear professing Christian, are you looking for alternate explanations other than what God tells you about you? (laughs) And what God tells you about your loved ones? And what God tells you about your children? But so many Christians are running and looking and reading and paying to find, give me a different answer. I don't like that one. And see, we were supposed to have been, as Christians who've come to Christ because of the gospel, we were supposed to have been reconciled to all of that. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it cuts. Yeah, I don't like what I see in the mirror. But see, there's this good news that Christ has covered that, and now I can deal with it, and I don't have to cover it because Jesus has covered it. That was all supposed to be part of the deal. But Christians reject that and forget that on a regular, all too regular basis. 
And so as we diagnose our problems, we have to interpret the facts of our behavior and the behavior of others through the lens that God provides through the gospel and his word. Now, secondly, labels can be misleading. I've said that language is, is freighted. Language is, is weighted. The words that we use are important in, in describing what's going on with us and what's going on with others. And so, if we use terms like suffers from, so-and-so has this, so-and-so is fill in the blank, or they have a case of. If we use these kind of passive verbs, notice that's what they are, they're passive. There's things that have been done to me, stuff that's happened to me, not stuff I do. See, these passive kind of verbs are for true medical problems. You suffer from cancer. You have a broken leg. You are a diabetic. You have a case of hives. These are true medical conditions, and they don't describe our behavior. They don't describe our motives. They don't describe our lifestyle. They describe something bad that's happening to me. Now, of course, our lifestyle and the choices we make in our lifestyle can affect whether or not we develop a medical problem. That's true, too. So smoking might cause lung cancer. Dirt bike racing might cause a broken leg. Riding a motorcycle and being in a Christian motorcycle gang. I'm not saying that applies to anybody. I'm just saying... The CBC Christian Motorcycle Gang. What a, for those of you who don't know, we've got some, we got some Harley guys in the, uh, in the church. And so dirt bike racing could cause you to, to have a broken leg. But now get this, smoking cigarettes, riding dirt bikes are things you do. Like drinking too much or worrying about what people think or obsessing about yourself in front of the mirror. And none of us would ever say he has a bad case of dirt bike syndrome. Or he suffers from a smoking disorder. And yet these are the kinds of things that we, that we say. The kind of language that we use is freighted. And the labels can be misleading. When we say suffers from, has, has a case of, you know, the truth is our behavior is first and foremost from God's standpoint, looking at it from his, through his lenses, is always God-directed. Our behavior is always first and foremost God-directed. And when we think about our behavior, whatever it is, if we are not thinking about that behavior of ourselves or others that we're trying to help in terms first and foremost of how that's directed toward God, what does that say about my view of God, then we are not looking through the lenses of Scripture. Hear this, friends. Every moment of every day, in every thought, in every word, and in every deed, you are transacting with God. You are called every moment of every day, as am I, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
And failure to do that, as we all fail to do, but failure to do that, transacting with God on a regular basis in that moment in the kitchen in my house where I can't find a fork and fork justice kicks in. There should, this is a crime against humanity that there's not a fork available when I need a fork. And when I get angry, however I express that anger, when I slam the door, there's never any forks in this house, you know, whatever I'm going to do, or I'm just going to stew to myself, whatever it is, but hear this. There may be nobody in the house when that happens. In fact, all right, I'll confess. Not a fork. But yesterday, we were getting ready to go to the wedding. And... I had to take Lainey to the Masonic Temple at 9 o'clock because she's in the wedding. And I come home to get dressed. And then I'm going to be leaving at noon to pick up Dad and Mom to go. And Kim and Annie are going to go at about 10.30. So we're all going all crazy yesterday. But I found myself with about an hour and a half by myself in the house yesterday. And I'm going over my stuff for this wedding. I was told I would not have a microphone for this wedding. I was told that at the rehearsal. But the acoustics are good at the Masonic Temple, so... But I'm yelling in my living room as I'm going through my stuff so that I can make sure that I'm heard. But I'm also, while I'm doing this, I'm also sweating. And I'm thinking, why am I sweating? We've got air conditioning in this joint. And I go over to the thermostat, and it's high. You know, it's on a high number. And I'm sweating. And I'm thinking to myself, who turned this thing up? And I'm saying to myself, who turned this thing up? I'm saying audibly, who turned this thing up? There's nobody in the house except me. I'm angry that it's hot in my house. There's nobody there except me. Right? Wrong. I'm transacting with God in that moment. And so are you every moment of every day. And so the labels can be misleading if they don't first begin with what does this say about how I love the Lord my God with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my soul. And when I think as a preacher of the gospel who's going to be preaching in James 1 about God using adverse circumstances for your good, but those can be used for temptation and I get ticked when it's too warm in the house. What a crumb I am. But that's what we do. I do. That's what you do. And I don't have a case of anything at that point. Other than being an ornery, irritated, big, fat sack of sin. In fact, let's just pray and leave. That's God's diagnosis for all of us. And we live as if God's a non-factor. And so do the people that we try to help. But hear this. Now hear this, human being is an active verb, not a passive. It's a play on words, but human being you need to think of as as an active verb. Our human lives are active, not passive. We are always interacting with God and interacting with others most often. And so we actively have wants and fears 
and we actively love things and believe things and do things and say things and act and react. And so from God's standpoint, through His lenses, we don't have a case of the way we do life. We do life a particular way as we interact with God, appropriately or inappropriately, in a sinful way or in a godly way. The labels can be misleading. Third, what we do causes harm. What we do causes harm. What we actively do causes harm. Versus, notice I'm emphasizing the do. Versus what we suffer from causes harm. Or what we have causes harm. Or what we have a case of causes harm. What causes harm is actually what we do actively. And so, when people have behavioral problems, it affects other people who care about them. Other people worry about them. Or they feel hurt by them. Or they get angry at them. Now here's why. Because what we do causes harm. Outbursts of anger. Drunkenness. Extreme dieting. Relentless self-blame, recrimination, escapism, instability, social anxiety, all of these kinds of things, they intrinsically, by their very nature, they threaten relationships. They harm our relationships. By definition, doing those kinds of things isolates us from God and from people. You cannot live in any of those ways, and the list could go on and on. You cannot live in those ways. And at the same time, trust God and love people. But we want to come and say, so-and-so has or suffers from. When in fact, they are actively doing things, living in a particular way that causes harm. And that causes harm in our relationships separates us. Real illness, real trauma, does not automatically separate people, does not automatically jeopardize relationships. Now, I just want to stop. I'm saying not automatically. As we've been seeing in James chapter 1, the truth is because we're sinful, everything that goes on in life is potentially a temptation for sin. And so even an illness, and our reaction now to that illness, can be a temptation to sin. But experiencing a trauma or an illness does not automatically separate people like these other things intrinsically do. They don't automatically jeopardize our relationships. In fact, usually when sickness comes into the sphere of a relationship, it provides a context to, to unite people. They come together and feel closer. Again, not always, but, but often. And so those family members that love that person will be concerned for the individual because they are sick. They want your body to get well. But hear this. They're concerned for you when you're sick. They'll be concerned about you when you're self-absorbed. 
And when that self-absorption manifests itself in the kinds of ways that I listed. They're concerned for you when you're sick. They're concerned about you. They want you to become a different kind of person. And so, what we do causes harm. And then fourthly, false diagnoses tend to separate people. False diagnoses of our problems tend to separate people. If you put a diagnostic label on a person, it harms your relationship with that person. I want you to hear me on these final two points, but hear me especially on this. It harms your relationship with that person because it creates artificial distance between you and that person. They've got something that you don't. They've got something in their experience that is not common to your experience. It creates artificial distance. We should be able to identify with each other. But if I think you're sick and I'm well, it artificially divides us. Now, think about it again as a, if it's a true medical problem. That creates a distance between people, to be sure. If I get in a car accident and I suffer a broken leg, my doctor and my friends don't have broken legs. I hurt, I need crutches, they're perfectly fine, they walk normally. Their experience, my experience are completely different on that level. I'm not well, they're well. I definitely need their help. And they can help me precisely because they're not laid up with broken legs. This is all good. But if you put a quasi-medical label on what I do, on what I think and what I feel, it creates distance, but not an objective, necessary, experiential distance, but an unnecessary, artificial distance. If I struggle with anxiety or irritation or escapism, and you tell me I have something, or somebody tells me I have something, oh, you got that? Really? You've got, when it's too hot in the house, you get angry like an idiot syndrome? I don't have that. You've got a particular syndrome. You've got a particular case of. But the truth is, anxiety and irritation and escapism, you struggle with that, and guess what? So does everybody else. But if, you, if we label that as a disorder or a syndrome, get this, it means you're normal and I'm sick. And here's why that matters. It matters with regard to now your ability to help me. You're normal, but I'm sick. How can you help me? Well, I can't. We'll just have to kick that one upstairs, I guess. Try to find somebody who's had your exact same problem 
We're going to move on. We're going to continue on with this. But I want you to take a look at Scripture. And look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians one. Verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us. Now let me just stop. We're going to read on. Remember I was saying every moment of every day you're transacting with God. We all are. And the Bible is built on that foundation. All of life is God-centered. All of it is lived coram Deo before the face of God. All of us live that way in the presence of God all the time. And the Bible's built on that. In the beginning, God, and now everything's taking place before God. Properly or improperly, but before God. And a verse just like this, you just read that in your devotions, right? But you need to read it from the perspective of the story. And the story is there's God and there's us, and we're interacting. And here it's praise to God who comforts us. So God is active. God's not just a major player, He's the major player in what's going on in my life, whatever it is. He's the God of compassion and comfort, and He comforts. Now notice verse 4. He comforts us in all our troubles. All our troubles. See, this is the way the Bible describes it. (laughs) You got troubles. How much stuff can go under the label troubles? That's one of the Bible's generic labels for life in a fallen world, troubles. And God comforts us in all our troubles. But then notice, He has a purpose in this. So that we can comfort those in any trouble. Now, you could, you could miss this if you're not careful. You read through verse 4 and you say, God comforts us, and He comforts us in all our personal troubles. But then it says, so that we can comfort those... Notice, it could say, those who are in the same trouble you were in. But it doesn't say that. He comforts us in our troubles... So that we can comfort those in what kind of trouble? What? (laughs) Does God got a degree in this particular matter that I'm going through? Has God sent you as my counselor with some particular experience in what I'm going through? Do you see what God is saying here? I don't have to have gone through exactly what you've gone through. I have to be a sinner living in a fallen world who's undergone trouble. And trouble with which the God of compassion and comfort has comforted me. 
And now I can comfort, be used of him to comfort you in, notice, any trouble. We're not separated. Because you got your thing and I got my thing. We do. That's certainly true. We're going to see that in point number five. That there are particular things for you and particular things for me. There's no doubt about that. But they all fall under a heading of trouble and the sins of the flesh that are common to man. And the solution and the comfort and the compassion all come from the same source. And when I have that in my troubles and God has comforted me, I am now able to comfort those in any trouble with verse 4 the comfort we ourselves have received from God now does this mean that it's not helpful if somebody's gone through a particular thing just like you're going through of course it is absolutely and so I don't discount that I do discount completely and reject completely the idea that the only people who can help you are people who have the same, supposedly have the same thing you do. And these misdiagnoses, these false diagnoses, artificially separate people. And in turn, that affects the way we see our ability to help each other. You can help people precisely because you do have first-hand understanding of basic human struggles. Every person here has that. Different types, different varieties. James calls them trials of various kinds. But what does Paul say that I put on the screen today, if you were here first hour, 1 Corinthians 10, 13? There is no trial that has confronted you, overtaken you, come upon you, but such as is common to man. And they all have very basic features to them. And so false diagnoses artificially separate people. And then last, number five, nurture feeds our nature. Nurture feeds our nature. No one should disagree. I don't know of anyone who does that genetics might contribute to a tendency and that our social environment can provide and actually abounds with, with triggers and that there are countless factors that influence, and that's an important word, influence. They don't, they don't dictate, but they influence us. So there are all kinds of triggers and tendencies and influences but what is the final cause of how we live? And the Bible teaches that we are the final cause of how we live. We are always involved in the mix of the tendencies and the triggers and the influences. Now, what are some of those influences? It's a fact that what goes on in your body has an influence on you. And so allergies and sleepless nights and postpartum hormones and all kinds of 
bodily effects have an influence on us. Further, what about the people around us? They too have a, an influence on us. Nurture plays a role and interacts with our nature, our sin nature. Every one of us lives in a world that's filled with competing values, all sorts of hardships, all kinds of enticements. And we live in that world with which we're surrounded. We absorb ways of thinking that are provided by the language that we use and the values of the culture that we're in. And so if you live in a culture as a woman, a female in America right now that glamorizes being thin, might you be influenced by that? Oh, absolutely. As a temptation to say, I need to do that. I need to be like that. And you have this, you know, you're going to handle it. People are going to handle it different ways. As we're going to see in a minute, depending on their personalities and their temperaments. But some people may just be obviously very obsessed about it. Others just have this low-level lack of joy because I have never looked the way I'm supposed to look. I mean, how many, and not, not just women, men, any of us, how many of us just have that? I've never looked the way I'm supposed to look. You know, I look at, I look at a picture of a guy with six-pack abs. And I can say, I am never going to look like that. Again. Okay, never going to look like that. Now, how much does that mean to me? It's an influence, but it should not determine. But if you're in that kind of an environment, if you're in that kind of culture, you know, if, if, if your father was a poor role model for handling frustration, his bad example disciples you as his son into having a temper, perhaps resorting to drinking, whatever. Did it have an influence on you? Absolutely. It was modeled in front of you. But is that controlling? Are any of those to be controlling for a child of God? And yet what we do is we put a label on it. So-and-so's got a disorder. There are countless factors, additional factors that influence us. Weather. Gloomier when it's cloudy outside. Or pressure. The project that's due at work or at school. The current state of your personal finances, world politics, you know, I'm, I'm, this kind of stuff, Supreme Court decision comes down on Thursday, health care. I've got Scotus blog on my iPad, and I'm looking at it, it's a blog, and I can still see it, 1018 in the morning on Thursday, and it's just coming across as a blog, they're reporting as the Supreme Court reads out its decisions. 1018, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, individual mandate survives as a tax. That's a quote. I'm shot for the rest of the day. I've got a wedding rehearsal to do that night. It's a wonder the wedding came off at all. 
you know, necessarily, I, I got over it, but absolutely, I'm like, I knew they were going to overthrow that individual mandate. Uh, John Roberts, I used to like him, the Chief Justice. What was he drinking? But it survives as a tax, and then I have to go, wait a minute. This world is exactly at 1019, the same as it was at 1017. It's still God's world. Why am I worrying about the why am I worried about this? I've got a wedding to do. This is obvious this is obvious indication of God active in his world as two lives come together. And I'm thinking about that. But I am telling you that I could easily get drawn into that and have that affect me. With all of those influences, hear this, dear friends. You and I are always, always, always in the mix. And the Bible teaches that God arranges the stage on which we live. A sovereign God arranges the stage on which we are to perform our lives before Him. And He has the right to do that. And he arranges the... He, he knew about your upbringing. He knew about your angry father. He knows about the culture that we're in. He knows about all of those pressures. And he says to the us, I have placed you in this place at this time and you are to live this way. Influences, yes. Do they dictate what we are to do? Absolutely not. And so here's the good news then, and we have to quit. But it means then there is hope, dear friends. Because the issues with which we struggle are common to man. They are called trouble in the Bible. They're called the evidences of our, of our sinful nature. And so now we don't have in the church categories of people. Think about this. Do we have categories of people in the church? Do you read that in the New Testament? Where do you find anywhere in the New Testament, anywhere in the New Testament, that there are people with behavioral problems that are set off in a separate category? Nowhere. Not even hinted at. We come together united around one Lord and also united around the fact that we all struggle. Every last one of us. And a person may be born with particular tendencies and have been raised in an environment that has particular influences and pulls for him or her. All of that is true. And God's people can identify. I haven't done what you've done. I haven't been through what you've been through. But I sin and I've been sinned against. Hear this. I sin and I've been sinned against. And that's the only two categories there are. <laughs> and so I can identify with you. And the fact that you struggle with a particular thing, I should never look at you and go, you know, I've read about people like you. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, and I'm only, that's what we do in the church. Got to quit. Probably shouldn't say this now. 
I can't identify, I cannot identify in particular with this. But when people struggle with same-sex attraction, what are you going to do with that? One, we're not going to say it's okay. It's not. But it's not okay the same way that it is not okay for a man to illicitly lust for a woman who is not his wife. It's a perversion of what God has given. Both of them. You say, yeah, but I've done the one. Okay. The fact that you haven't done that particular thing doesn't change the fact that this falls under the the label of the evidences of the flesh, of the sinful nature. And so are we going to have artificial categories that say I've read about people like you, but I've never actually met one? What you will meet for every person who comes through these doors and in six months or four months or eight months, whenever it is, when we go into our ministry center and people come through those doors, here's what you'll meet. You're going to meet sinful people who struggle with different kinds of sins and for whom the same solution is necessary. Whoever they are, whatever they've done. Misdiagnoses separate people. And the question is, are we going to have in the church separations that are artificial when God says you all fit into one category? You sin and you've been sinned against. And Jesus is the answer to both. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your word as our advanced ultrasound. We thank you for giving us lenses through which to read its report about us and about those that you've called into our circle of influence. Lord, we thank you that you, in the gospel, by your Holy Spirit, have given us a heart that, though it's painful to read and painful to see, we still desire to see what we are like so that we can see what needs to change and so that we can become more like Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to never shy away from the mirror of your word. Help us to see it as a blessing to us, that you are showing us who we are, but you are not leaving us where we are, but you've given us the mechanisms for change in the gospel, in your Holy Spirit, in your word, and through your people. Lord, help us to resist now the allure of the world because we don't want to face it. And therefore, we will buy the false diagnoses and the labeling that the world does and dismiss what Almighty God has said. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to see, Lord, in this the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the grace that is manifest in your church that all of us have trouble, all of us are fallen, all of us are sinners and have been sinned against, and all of us need the same remedy, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the restoration of our lives and the restoration of his world that only he can bring. And therefore, we are united. We are united in our struggles. 
We're united in our redemption. And therefore, we can help each other. Whatever our trouble, we can help anyone in your world who you move on to bring to us for the help that only Jesus can provide. Lord Jesus, help us to see it clearly, see ourselves, see them as in the same boat and needing the same remedy. And Lord, go with us in the months and years ahead as we liberally give out your gospel, your good news. It's good news for everybody, wherever they are, whatever they've done, with whatever they struggle. May Jesus Christ be magnified then in this group of sinners who have been saved, rescued by grace. Go with us this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.